Hi, everybody. It's Steve Weir, Grace Point's Pastor of Arts and Communication, and I'm here to say welcome or welcome back to the Grace Point Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast via iTunes or on our YouTube channel. Feel free to check out our website for all the latest information about everything going on here at Grace Point. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step toward becoming a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ. Enjoy. So I had the opportunity to visit my grandfather several times in the last couple weeks. He is 97 years old, and he has had a lot of physical health conditions, um, some things that have come up that our family knows our time with him is very limited. And so we're trying to get as many visits in that we can. And on one of the more recent visits, we were talking about his role in World War II. And we are down to very few veterans from World War II that are still with us. And so I wanted to talk to him. A conversation popped up. I knew that he served in the war, but I didn't know what his role was. And so I wanted to know if he was willing to share, what exactly did you do? And his role was a unique one. It was to discern the enemy's communication and to help provide intel on the battlefield. So he was trained to unscramble the enemy's coded messages. It was fascinating to hear his role as a cryptographer. We would have a great advantage in the war if we were able to discern what the enemy was planning to do. If we were able to break their coded message, we would see their war plan and most likely, it was game over for the enemy if we cracked their code. World War II ended for my grandfather when he was on a transport ship ready to go and use his skills. So he was on the boat going over when the war ended. And so he never got to utilize his skills, but those that were trained alongside of him played a significant part in the resolution of World War II. But there's another war that's waging that started long before World War II and continues to this very day. The Bible teaches about this war. It's a battle between good and evil. Can you imagine with me if we had our enemy's blueprint? Can you imagine if we knew exactly how the enemy was going to attack us? Could you imagine if we then had defensive maneuvers where we could thwart his plan? Hmm. Wait one second. We do. It's called God's word. And we're going to be looking in a text today that's going to help us see two of the strategies that the enemy uses to attack you and me. And then we're going to see how God has given us defensive maneuvers to fight back against our enemy. So I want you to turn with me to Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13, we're going to be looking at verses 11 through 14. And we are continuing our study called Immersed in Grace. This is the last season. We broke it into four different seasons. This is the last season of the book of Romans, and it's going to give us great practical ways to apply the biblical truth that we've been studying over the last three seasons. So if you are new to our study of Romans, I would encourage you, 
find our YouTube channel, and when you have a free moment, listen to some of those passages, those teachings from months, weeks ago. And so that will get you all caught up on our Romans study. But today we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 13, and we're going to start in verse 11, and this is what the Word of God says. Besides this, you know the time, that the hour has come for you to wake from your sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Paul starts by saying, besides this. What is he referencing? He's talking about the weeks that have just previously been covered. And so we can look at last week where we were reminded life in Christ is about loving and not law-keeping. And one of the things as I was listening to Pastor Dave that came to mind is one of my elders and youth leaders in Wisconsin, um, he always had a phrase that stuck with me for when he first said it till now, and it's, we serve thee, God, because we love thee. We don't serve God thinking it's going to all of a sudden bring about our salvation. We serve God because he's shown us incredible love, even when we were enemies of God, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We serve God out of a love for God. Romans 5.8 says, but God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's amazing love that's been displayed, and so we serve the God who loved us first. And so when Paul says, besides this, he's looking back, reminding them what he just said. And then look what he says next. Besides this, you know the time, still verse 11, that the hour has come for you to wake from your sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Here's where we learn the enemy's strategy number one, and that is to keep you and me asleep. His goal is to keep us asleep. The text says the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. And so brothers and sisters, the call here is wake up. Wake up and realize what is happening. The hour has come for us to be fully alert, to be ready, to not be sleeping. Why should we be awake from our slumber? Because salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. We are so much closer to salvation than when you first put your faith and trust in Christ. We are so close, the text says here. The word salvation, soteria, says its meaning is to rescue us from danger and to restore to a former state of safety and well-being. So you and I, your believer in Christ, are so close to that final rescue where Christ will take us home or he'll come again. And praise the Lord for that truth. The last three weeks have been quite a challenge for me. So this truth as I'm wrestling through this text has been really close to my heart. In the past three weeks, and I know I'm not alone in this, but I lost my grandmother and three of my friends. And I know many of you have also suffered lots of losses too. And so this truth that we are so close, so near to our salvation has brought me great comfort because I long for the day when there's going to be no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. Former things have passed away. Behold, the new has come. I long for that day of salvation when Christ will return. Come, Lord Jesus. This world desperately needs Jesus. So brothers and sisters, since Christ has not returned and all of us have not been called home yet, it's time we wake up from our slumber and we fix our eyes on Jesus and proclaim the salvation that he offers. So enemies, strategy number one is to keep us asleep. 
And our defensive maneuver is to wake up and to stay alert. And that takes us to the first part of our main point. The first part is wake up, and the second part we're going to see in a little bit. So wake up, and then we'll see the next part in a little bit. So salvation is nearer to us than when we first believe. It is so close. The text is telling us it's like within grasp. It's right in front of us. It's within reach. But I want to just have a teachable moment and discuss a theological truth here. There are people that you will encounter, whether in person or you'll hear about or see on social media, that are going to tell you they know the exact date when Christ is going to return. And they come up with this great formula where they're pulling all sorts of numbers from the Bible or maybe the way the stars are aligning. And they come up with this date and it sounds convincing, like, wow, they really put a lot of thought into this. If you encounter one of these people, here's my solution for you. Just kind of nod and then just run the other way, okay? <laughs> Don't, they're trying to trick you. They're trying to deceive you. God's word is very clear. We do not know the hour that Christ is coming. And if you don't, I don't want you to take my word for it. I want you to take God's word. Matthew 24, 42 through 44 says this. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would have not let his house be broken into. Therefore, you must also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Clearly, God's word teaches us that we do not know when Christ is coming back, but it calls us here to be ready for it. The only way to accomplish that task, if we don't know when he's coming, but yet we're supposed to be ready for it, is for us to always be ready for Christ's return. So here's what we do know about Christ's return. We're closer to his return today than we were yesterday. Therefore, Wake up, be ready, go and make disciples until Christ returns. Look at verse 12. We're going to look at the first part, 12a of Romans 13. It says this, The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. That phrase makes me like excited with anticipation. Anticipation that Christ will be returning. And when I think of the word anticipation, I can understand that pretty clearly having young kids. So maybe you can think back to your childhood or if you had the blessing of raising littles, you can think back to how they would get so excited with anticipation about certain trips. In our house for Tara and I, when we start planning a trip, we tell Mercy about where we're hoping to go. And she always makes this, asks the same exact question every time pretty much every day after we start talking about the trip. And it's, Daddy, how many minutes until blank? So if we're going on a trip to see family in Florida, Jeremy, how many, or Daddy, how many minutes until our trip to Florida? And if you know me, you can probably guess what I do. I pull out my calculator and I start calculating. Okay, a month, weeks, years. You know, it's 100,400 and, and Mercy's reaction is, oh. And then... <laughs> Tara's reaction, as you can guess, is she rolls her eyes at me and says, oh, you're doing it again. But what I love about her question is she is so excited to spend that time with her family. She longs 
for that time where we're all going to be together making memories together. She is excited and pumped up about having that time with her family. Can you imagine if we had the same excitement about Christ's return? We're just so excited. Come, Lord Jesus. We want you here. Come fast. But we're still on mission. Help us to be strong sharing the gospel with others. Do we have that excitement about the Lord's return? Just like Mercy does for those trips. And when we get to the day before the trip, usually Tara and I are like anxious, trying to get everything packed. But Mercy is telling the world all about the trip. She even tells strangers, which makes me concerned. But she wants the whole world to know that she's going on this trip. We should have the same excitement, same call to tell the world about the need that they have for Jesus, that Jesus is returning soon and that they can put their hope and trust and faith in him. They'll be saved as well. And so are we on mission to do that? The text says the night is far gone, the day is at hand. Are we telling everybody about the Lord Jesus's return? And if it's true that our salvation is so close to us, we have some serious things to consider according to this text. So what does God's word say next? Look at Romans 13, the second part of 12 and verse 13. It says this. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual morality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. And this takes us to the enemy's strategy number two, which is to keep us involved in works of darkness. His mission is to keep us involved in these works of darkness. But God's word says that we are to cast off the works of darkness. Cast off is a very strong word in the Greek language. It means to cause a state to cease by force with the implication of elimination. Those are three strong words. Cease by force to eliminate. That's what we are to do with the works of darkness in our lives. Look at this list with me. There are several lists that are flushed out in Scripture of the works of the flesh, or works of evil, but let's look at this one. Not in orgies, drunkenness, sexual morality, sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. When I see those lists, I think, that list, I think of two different things. First off, our culture, the Roman culture and our culture, embrace that list, right? You're not really living life if you aren't doing those things. And God's saying, that's not the case. Those things should be eliminated in our lives. And the second thing I noticed about this list as I was studying it is Paul isn't placing these in a hierarchy. He's not saying, okay, the worst acts of darkness, the really dark ones are these first two. And then, you know, there's this... It's not as bad, these last ones. But we can all too often say, you know, like, jealousy's not as bad as some of these other ones. Or, yeah, I might quarrel a little bit, but that's not as bad as these other ones. Paul, God's word here says, they're all acts of darkness. They're all works of darkness. They all need to be cast away from us. And so don't get caught up thinking that your sin is not as big of a deal as some of these other sins. It's not the way that God's economy runs. The call here is to eliminate all these works of darkness. And casting something off is a very painful process. Involving the use of force, goal of eliminating, battling sin is no light task. It's painful. 
But I will tell you from my own experience and pastoral experience, not battling sin is going to do way more damage. It will hurt battling sin, but not battling it, it's going to do way more damage to you. Some people may think that pastors have perfected this, that they've all, they've mastered casting out the works of darkness. And I'll tell you, for me, this is an ongoing battle. Um, Specifically with one on the list, I have to constantly eliminate jealousy in my life, specifically when it comes to my family's medical situations. It can be easy to entertain the thought of, it would be so much easier, so much better if blank. For me, I can fill that blank with saying, if my two youngest children, Elias and Joella, didn't have chromosome disorders. It's so easy for us to enter into that jealousy state. And God's word calls entertaining that thought for me a work of darkness that needs to be eliminated and replaced with what? It needs to be replaced with our defense maneuver number two, which is put on the armor of light. Instead of going down the path of jealousy, thinking life would be so much better, If only this, I can replace that with the armor of God, the armor of light, which reminds me God's in control. He has a perfect plan even when I don't understand it. And he's also helped me to have some, sometimes I'm able to see, wow, I wouldn't have been able to be a light for Christ if I didn't have this ongoing difficulty. And so we need to put on the armor of light, the armor of God, even when we can't understand what's happening before us, You can see on the screen there, enemy wants us to stay involved in these works of darkness. And our defensive maneuver is cast them off and put on the armor of light, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And that takes us to our main point this morning. We already learned wake up. And the second part is armor up. Wake up and armor up are our two main thoughts. Wake up and armor up. When I think of the armor of God, my mind goes to one place. And maybe your mind goes there too. On this stage, several months ago, there was a character, the great actor named Sir Laughs a Lot. And maybe you remember from VBS, our whole theme was making sure that we are putting on our armor of God. And so that person stood up here. He was a great actor, did a great job with some like awesome jokes. And he was instructing little Albert along with Eldrick, Um, who is uh, kind of the fatherly figure in the story about the importance of putting that armor on. Okay. My mind doesn't go there. It actually goes to Ephesians chapter 6, where we learn about the armor of God. I had to make a little plug for one of my favorite roles for VBS of Sir Laughs-a-Lot. But Ephesians 6 is where my mind goes for the armor of God. And so if you're feeling beat up, having a rough time battling sin, go to Ephesians 6 and remember what God has given you access to. And so I just want to read the first couple verses of Ephesians 6, this passage, the armor of God, and I'm going to highlight these pieces of armor that you and I have access to. Verses 11 through 13a of Ephesians 6 says, Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness." against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. 
Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, and then it lists each one of them, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of peace, the shield of faith, helmet of salvation, sword of the spirit, which is God's word. Why would you and I go to war against sin without any armor? All too often I see this, even in my own life this can happen, but as I'm counseling, caring whether for students or adults, they're going into war with no armor. Put on the whole armor of God. Put on the armor of light. If we're called to put armor on, it means there must be some kind of spiritual battle that's happening in our lives. And you and I know that there's a war waging for our souls, a war waging against us. And verse 14 is kind of the critical verse in this passage. It says this, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. What does that mean? How can you and I wear Jesus Christ? That is a really strange thing to, to say. So I went to a commentary to unpack this meaning a little bit more. The New American Commentary says this, instead of maintaining a lingering relationship to all such evil activity, it's works of darkness, acts of darkness, believers are to put on as their armor the Lord Jesus Christ. The verb calls for a decisive action. The critical nature of the day in which we live demands that we separate ourselves unmistakably from all that belongs to darkness. Jesus Christ himself is our armor against wickedness. Those who are in him know what it means to experience victory in spiritual warfare. There's no other place of security. People will put on all different kinds of armor. If it's not the Lord Jesus Christ, you aren't going to win the war. You aren't going to win the battle. There is no other place of security except in the Lord Jesus. And when we put on that armor... We're giving no provision to the flesh to gratify its desires. And that's what the text says. Make no provision for the flesh. But think with me, how often in our sin do we make every provision for the flesh to be gratified? God's word directly tells us, provide no opportunity. Don't give any upper hand to the flesh to participate in the acts of darkness. At youth group, we've been studying the book of James. And the book of James does not hold back punches. It helps us understand how we're to live as followers of Christ. And one truth that we unpacked two weeks ago was how often we put ourselves in position to fail. James says that our evil desires lure and entice us to sin against God. And Paul here in Romans says, don't put yourself in a place where you have the opportunity to do the works of evil. This is such a practical, easy way to fight against sin. How so? If you struggle with alcohol abuse, stay away from alcohol. Get it out of your house. If you struggle with gluttony, don't get in your car, drive to Lancaster, and go to Shady Maple. Okay? Now, I guess I should make another confession. Uh, I didn't have that in my notes, but I do like Shady Maple. If you struggle with greed or gambling, stay away from casinos. You can see how this works. Don't put yourself in a place where you're going to give provision for your fleshly desires. I've counseled numerous students struggling with pornography addictions. 
The statistics are staggering even within the church, not just students, of adults that struggle with this. And I tell these students I'm working with, you need to remove every opportunity for you to continue in this sin. Get rid of whatever's causing you to go into this sin. Remove those obstacles that lead you to stumble. Maybe it's give your phone to your parents when you're going to your room for the night. Just hand it over to them. That way it's no temptation for you at night. Maybe it's putting Covenant Eyes. That's a program that blocks certain websites. And so when you try to access them, it will block it on your phone or your device. That way you have no access to those websites that cause you to stumble. Oftentimes sin is pre-planned. Don't give an opportunity for sin to destroy your life. If you are in a similar situation, whether it's pornography, alcohol, something else, get help. Ask somebody to help. I always tell the students, turn the lights on. Sin loves to fester like mold in the darkness. You turn the light on and it gets exposed, you can get the help that you need. So if you're in something like this that you just cannot break an addiction in your life, it's drawing you away from the Lord today. We're going to have our prayer team up here in a little bit. Come forward. We want to expose that to the light, get you the help that you need. And so please talk with us. I'm always telling my students that let's expose it and so we can get the help that you need. Sin can be broken. God gives us a way out of every temptation. 1 Corinthians 10.13 teaches this. No temptation is overtaking you that's not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he'll also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So there's always a way out. You do not have to give in to temptation. I do not have to give in to temptation. So as we close, we've been talking a lot about defensive maneuvers, but the Bible tells us that we actually have the greatest offensive weapon an attack against the enemy, and his name is Jesus. So the enemy's grand strategy, if we summarized his plan, is to keep us from Jesus. He doesn't want any of us to turn to Jesus. That is his grand plan. And so the best offensive weapon against the enemy is turn right to Jesus. Turn from your sin and turn to Jesus Christ. He is the only one that can save you from your sin. And so I want to talk to two different people here. If you don't know Christ, I want to talk to your heart. The enemy would love to keep you far from Jesus, but don't be fooled. Trust in the Lord Jesus for your salvation. Put on the Lord Jesus. The Bible teaches that all of us are dead in our trespasses and sins, and that there is no way that you could possibly earn your salvation. Even your best efforts the best you can do, the best I can do, Scripture says are filthy rags, and that is a very nice translation of what that word means. But praise be to God that he's provided a way of salvation through Jesus Christ and what he accomplished on Calvary's cross. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe absolute trust in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men which we must be saved, the name of Jesus. If you do know Christ, I want to talk to you. The enemy, his main goal for you is to keep you on the sidelines, keep you out of the battle. 
He'd love for you to remain asleep to the causes of Christ. He might do this by tricking you, tricking me to make me think, make you think that sin could actually satisfy. He does this by deceiving us to be apathetic, get us caught up in the things that the world offers rather than what Christ offers. Brothers and sisters in Christ, it's time for us to wake up from our slumber, armor up, and battle. I have a closing challenge for us. And this is going to call you to get rid of something, to cast it off, and to replace with something else. So the first one is to cast off a work of darkness in your life. So what can you do this week to eliminate a work of darkness that's ongoing? How can you remove the provision that you've been making for sin in your life? What can you cast off? Remember, that's completely eliminate to fix your eyes on Jesus and turn to him. Maybe it's sharing with somebody what's going on, turning the lights on to a sin that you've been battling on your own. And then I want to call you to put on your armor. God has given you the armor of God, the armor of light, the Lord Jesus himself. He's given us that armor. Put it on. What does that look like? Maybe it's memorizing Ephesians 6. There's several verses to remind you, you have this armor. You have access to it. So when an evil thought, you're tempted, you can go right to the word of God to combat it. Maybe it's sharing Christ with a friend and committing to disciple somebody. Maybe it's adding accountability in your life. So what can you do to cast off the works of darkness? And how, what can you do to put on the armor of God? We have the enemy's battle plan. We know what his mission is. God's told us. He's revealed it to us. And he's given everything we need to fight back against the enemy. And we have our offensive weapon, the Lord Jesus, who conquered death, conquered sin. He rose again. He really resurrected. And he gives eternal life to all who believe. So brothers and sisters, wake up and armor up. Let's pray. Dear God, we are grateful for this text. We are thankful that you have given us discernment in your word to see the enemy's attack. We thank you for the passage in 1 Corinthians that tells us that there's always a way of escape from every temptation. I pray for the hearts in here that might be stuck in an addiction to some sort of sin, that maybe they're battling alone. Would you just draw close to them? Would you work in their heart? Would you encourage them to turn the lights on of what's going on, maybe today, that they might share with you first and with others that, that love you and love them, that they might experience the freedom that comes with knowing you. And I pray for the hearts in here that don't know you as Lord. Would you convict them? Would you draw them to yourself that today might be the day of their salvation? You tell us that we are so close to the salvation. The, the night's gone. The day has come. And my heart's grieved for every person that doesn't know you. And so might today be the day of salvation? Lord, be with us who do know you. Would you give us a heart and a passion to make you known to others? Might we have great anticipation of your return and tell the whole world about the salvation that you've given us. We love you. We thank you so much, Jesus, for all you've done. It's in your name we pray. Amen.